Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Turn the Bibles very quickly, Deuteronomy chapter 6, from verse 4 to 8. I have a lot to cover in a limited time. Deuteronomy chapter 6, from verse 4 to 8. Are you there? We need to read this together, so you need to pay attention. Are you there? Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 8. He says, Moses speaking, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently unto your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk on the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise up. And you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand. And upon the frontlets, frontlets between your eyes. Now, when you read this, you can literally feel the paranoia of Moses. He's giving a final marching charge. To God's people as they prepare to enter the promised land. And yes, the promised land is a good land. A land flowing with milk and honey. But you know what? Good things come with big temptations. Good things come with big temptations. And that land was going to be surrounded with nations that had no faith. Faithless nations. And they'll try to influence them. And so he's saying to them in essence, don't forget who you are. The commandment he gives them is so special that when Jesus is asked several centuries after, what is the greatest commandment in the law? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. He quotes from this text. This is how important and resounding this is. Teach it diligently to your children, he says. When you walk by the way, teach it. Meditate on it. When you lie, think about it. When you rise up, think about it. Let it be the premeditation of your heart. Prophetically, there are only few sermons that are more timely than this one. Some of you desperately need what we are sharing on today. Because many of you, by prophecy and by observation, I know that doors are going to be open to you like you've never seen before. Financially, politically, doors are open to you. Listen, you are stepping into a new season of favor. Listen, and the Lord told me this. He said, many of these people are moving from daddy's money to having their own. That's what he told me. And as awesome as that is, great things come with great temptations. And one of the worst things that can happen to any man is for wealth to meet him unprepared. 
So there is a preparation, there is a mentality that you must have. It says, this book, these commands must not depart from you. Hold on to it. Love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, with your might. There's a paranoia. You're about to step into a new dimension of exposure. You will, you will meet people with weird ideologies and contrary patterns of existence, perspectives in life. Hold your ground. Make sure the ground on which you're standing is solid. You will need this. And he doesn't just stop there. He said something that you stand out for you. In verse 8, he said, you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand. And it shall be in the frontlets between your eyes. On your hand, representing thoughts influencing your actions. And on your head. Let me take that again. The word must influence your thoughts. The word must influence your actions. On your hand and on your head. He said, if you need to, tattoo it on your head. Tattoo it on your hand. And that already creates an image for you. And what you're thinking is right. Let me tell you something people don't know about the Antichrist. There is very little that is original about him. He's an imposter spirit. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, from verse 1, Paul speaking, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. That word means imposter spirits. He's trying to be like Christ. Pretending to be Christ, copying everything that Christ does, trying to get allegiance from people. And even the infamous mark of the beast is not original. God has a mark too. And as Moses is addressing the people, preparing them from, for the promised land, he tells them, keep the word of God on your forehead. Keep it on your hand. And guess what? You dare not step into Babylon or any strange land with your forehead or your hand vacant. Are you getting this? Because it is people who have their forehead and their palms vacant that become candidates and recipients of the mark of the beast. Do you understand what I just said? He said, keep it on your hand and on your forehead. Otherwise, the imposter spirits, since you have no allegiance to the word of God, you must have allegiance to something. You will not be left, left faithless. If God won't be God to you, money would be God. Governmental policies would be God. That time is coming. A time where there will scarcely fundamentally be atheists. Everybody will believe in something and show allegiance to some things that should only be given to God. If not to any divine being, it will be to themselves. And so when you come to Revelation chapter 13, you have to see how that is um, the imposter spirit trying to imitate what God already told his people to do. Revelation 13 talks about two beasts, one representing you know, an economic powerhouse, the other one representing military war, and the two acting as one will try to get God's people 
to be allegiance, to show allegiance to them. And how is he going to do that? What they did, what they were to do in, um, in the time of Moses was called the Shama. He would try to get them to do the anti-Shama. Write the mark of the beast on your forehead and on your palm. Instead of the word of God on your head and on your palm, instead, let it be the word of the ruling power of that day. 666, you have to understand Hebrew, or, or, or right, as a language, also had numbers, not just numbers and letters, but the letters were also numbers, all right? And when you write the words, Nero, Caesar, beast, it is actually 666 in the Hebrew. And actually, so to so John and to people who lived in that time, the number wasn't strange. They knew what he was saying. So he was talking about the world power at that time. Many people are waiting for a mark of the beast, not knowing it is something that will recycle itself in every generation. Let me explain what I'm saying. There will be an antichrist, but the spirit of the antichrist already exists. Are you getting what I'm saying? It even existed in the days of the church. And so anything that tries to command allegiance from you that should only be given to God is the mark of the beast. So while some people are waiting for the mark, they already have it. They just don't know. God's people must learn how to be faith people in an environment of contradiction. This message is so urgent. And that's why we've come with the teaching series, Babylon, Mammon, and the Believer. That's the teaching series for this month. Something to understand. <clears throat> and the major goal is just to help you understand how to function as a Christian in an environment of contradiction. You will need this. Some of you, you're experiencing it right now. The five things we'll try to get you to understand. Number one, we'll talk about conquering money. And we're not just talking about having a lot of it. You have to begin to see money as a wild animal. If you're going to keep it within sight, you have to tame it. It's wild. You have to put a leash around it and keep it in order. Because it's trying to tame you. Listen, you might talk about people who have money and change. Don't be overconfident. If you're not careful, you will be like them. Money is powerful. Don't joke with it. Listen, you have to learn how to handle it. You have to renew your mind. You have to be intentional about it. Because many of the people you look at and you're saying, oh, why did they change like that? In fact, when they were in your shoes, they were saying they will never change. You have to learn to put money in its place. Secondly, you have to learn to descend the Babylon of our time. Because now, you see, in biblical history, Babylon is both in our past and in our future. Babylon existed in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, in the book of Revelations, you see another Babylon being referred to. So it's a spirit, a spiritual system. You have to learn to discern it. You must not be ignorant of it. 
Number three, you have to learn to keep your integrity in spite of it. And number four, I said five things, there are actually four. You have to learn to stand out in spite of it. And the perfect case study for this month is Daniel. You know the story. Babylon invaded Jerusalem, took the people there hostage, you know, and took them to Babylon. That's how Daniel and all the Hebrew boys ended up in. Daniel and all the Hebrew boys ended up in Babylon. All right. And what do you notice about Daniel? He kept his integrity. And not just that, he stood out. And there are key attributes we can learn from Daniel. I want to talk on three things in particular. Don't worry, you've just followed the train of thoughts. I want to talk about power, integrity, and excellence. That's how to stand out in any Babylon. Power, integrity, and excellence. So Daniel demonstrated the power of the only true God. When he was in the den of lions, they did not harm him. Ah, that's power. That's power. The three Hebrew boys walking into the fiery furnace and coming out, you know, without any injury. That's power. And I told you at the watch night service, you are going to need to show some power in this time and age. Mark my words. English will not be enough. Are you listening to me? You cannot persuade this generation, even at the time of Jesus, he said, except you see signs, you will not believe. Power. Second, integrity. The Bible says Daniel refused to defile himself with the king's meat. He refused. That's integrity. They said everybody must bow to this idol. He refused. That's integrity. You must not pray to any other God. He refused. That's integrity. You're going to need that. And we're going to learn about that. And then. You know what it means for a pagan king to observe your life and say, you know, an excellent spirit is upon you. And it's not, it's different from the spirit of excellence. It's not just that Daniel was excellent. But he said, when I observe you and the spirits by which you speak, I now reckon all the other magicians and the spirit that influences them to be impostor spirits. Your spirit is the excellent meaning, the true spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? I have found these other influences to be false. Now that influence, that by one man, all other gods were proven to be false. That's power. Excellence. Even administratively, he was relevant for 60 years. He served three different kings. That's relevance. That's something to learn. These three legs will be the tripod of stability in our time. We need to embrace these three ideas. Let me tell you something. For a long time, the church has dwelt on just integrity. Just integrity. At least let us get to heaven let us stand our ground as Christians. You know, let it be um, clear that there are darkness and we are light. And so we keep to ourselves and we just do that. 
with integrity, you will get to heaven. But with power and excellence, you will take as many people as possible with you. Because it's going to take more than just integrity to make disciples. Come on, are you getting what I'm saying? It's going to take more than that. If people are going to acknowledge God in your life as the true God, it will take more than that. And so drop the bias. Every teaching ministry, uh, ministry gift knows this. You see, there are some sermons you preach, and the people who are more inclined to that type of sermon will come after and say, ah, that was powerful. It really blessed me. There are some people, they like prayer. Anything, you know, once you preach on prayer, you know, they're stirred up. They say, that was a good word. And then there are some other people, they like deep theological stuff. When you talk about systematic theology, stuff like that, they say, ah, that was a good word. I was so blessed. You know, and some people, two things will happen. Number one, you will hinder God in certain areas of your life. And as contradictory as that might sound, as much of an oxymoron as that sounds like, hinder God. You know, I'm telling you for a fact. One of the most profound statements in all the Bible is this. It says, the spirit of a prophet is subject to the prophet. Do you know what that means? That as boundless and as limitless as the spirit of God is and his capacity is, he will only do as much as you allow him to. That's so serious. So the more I know of God, the more of God I experience. You are your own limitation. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 78 verse 41, it says, yes and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. When I taught on this the first time, I gave the illustration of a reservoir. It might have a lot of water in it. But guess what? It also has a faucet. And if you want water to come out, you're going to have to open it for the water to flow. No matter how much water is in the system, if it is short, it won't flow. And that's how the power of God is. There's something called quenching the spirit. Listen, you can hinder the influence of the spirit in your life. You can. You can hinder just by lack of receptiveness or by ignorance, you can hinder God. I'm telling you. Once you have a bias against something, if it is salvation you are only interested in, you're going to make heaven. But like I said, only you will go. Maybe in your family, on your streets. And that's not God, what God wants. The second thing that will happen is this. You'll be ill-prepared for the things God has prepared for you. You'll be ill-prepared. You know, one text that strikes me every time is this. The Bible says, God did not lead the children of Israel the way of the Philistines, even though it was near. But he took them through the wilderness, lest they see war and run back to Egypt. Now you're thinking, what? So all those decades of journeying in the wilderness was not necessary. Let me tell you something. The delay in your life may not be there because God's time is the best. Ah, did you hear what I said? The delay in your life may not be there because God's time is the best. It may not be there because there is a spirit of delay you need to cast out. The delay in your life might be there because you have refused to grow up. 
Because God doesn't only protect us from things that are bad. He protects us from things that are good that we are not prepared for. So he said, even if the way of the Philistines was nigh, he didn't take them that route. So you spend extra 40 years needlessly just because you were not mature. What if there are some blessings that are passing you by because of your immaturity? Immaturity is costing you more than you realize. Listen, what if there is some level of resources that you should be handling by now, but you still haven't grown up? And you, you, think, you think I'm just making it up. You know what the Bible says? It says, he that is faithful in little is what? So that means there is that kind of assessment going on supernaturally in your life. The last time 500K entered your account, you were so petty, you lost your mind temporarily until you spent it all. And God is watching. Is this the person I want to give the resources of nations? You will make a mess. Even in ministry, it's part of the requirements for ordination. It says anybody you want to ordain must not be a novice, lest he be lifted up with pride and fall into the snare of Satan. There are some people that greatness will kill them. And so what does God do? He will leave you there until you grow. And the delay is not his will. It is your will. You just don't know it. And when it all comes down to it, as a rule of thumb, nothing good should cost our lives. So as great as prosperity is, if it will cost your soul, God is not going to bring it your way. It says many who will be rich pierce themselves with many sorrows. So there are people like that. And so, you know, one of the most fascinating prayers in the entire Bible is found in Proverbs chapter 30 from verse 7 to 9. Proverbs chapter 30 from verse 7 to 9. He says, two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. He says, please, just give me this. Make sure this happens before I die. He talked about removing falsehood and lies, but this is the part that fascinates me. He said, give me neither poverty nor riches. He said, feed me only what is allotted me. He said, lest I be fool and deny you and say, who is God? So there are some people who actually cannot handle wealth. But guess what? It is not because wealth is bad. It's because they did not grow. See, when it all comes down to it, your soul is most important. So if at this level you can't handle wealth, be honest. Listen, the guy here was honest. Your soul is worth more. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? But the reality of the situation is it will take resources to reach this world. And if you will just grow, we will do much more. Let me give you an analogy that will help you understand. Water is as dangerous as it is useful. It's as dangerous as it is useful. And so when you put a ship on it, water can convey you. It can take you places. You can reach people, reach territories through water as a means of transportation. But when the water begins to enter the ship, what happens to the ship? It sinks. 
So water is good when it is in its place. Do you understand what I'm saying? It must remain under. Once it enters, that's where the trouble starts. Money is like that. The best way to handle money is to keep it in its place. It, you must subdue it. You must subjugate it. It must remain under you. You must renew your mind and begin to make confessions like, listen, I will have money, money will not have me. There's a difference. I'll have money, money will not have me. I'll make money, money will not make me. In the first service, I talked about a humble ex experience when I visited a very influential man. And I'm very, it's not very easy to impress me, but I was impressed. You know, just from the entrance, the house and everything. And the first thing I saw when we opened the door was the, the, the daughter of this billionaire was the one cleaning. They have several cleaners in that house. And she was the one mopping. And as we stepped in, you know, she greeted, welcome, sir. You know, she, you know, she did the courtesy. And I'm not saying everybody has to do that, but it struck me. Ah, people that don't have sense, it's not because they made money. Have you seen people that are proud? You are trying to trace it. You don't have money. You don't, uh, you, you, you don't, yeah, nothing now. Have you been confused about the pride of someone? Ah, you, there is something the Proverbs calls durable riches and righteousness. It is possible. It is possible to have money and have sense. It's possible. It is possible to have money and your work with God is intact. There are many examples. When you read the narrative of the rich man and Lazarus, it wasn't because he was rich. After all, when he went to the region of the dead, the Bible talks about Abraham's bosom. Abraham had money too. And he's considered the father of faith. You can make up your mind. Please, are you with me? If you see knife with a child, two-year-old, playing with a knife, you will rush towards the child, you know, playfully collect the knife gently. But every adult has a knife in the kitchen, and we use it every other day. So it's not about the danger that a tool poses. It's about our maturity in handling it. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, the Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. Quote it right. It says it's the love of money that is the root of evil. So, and where is the love? Money cannot have love. Money is neutral. The love is in you. So it was something in you that made the money bad in your hand. So how about we just grow up for the sake of the people God will use us to reach and have a different perspective of consecration and maturity. You know, I read a story that changed my life. There were two armies in the old, olden days. They were about to face off and, you know, they were at war. And so the captain of the first army was charging his army. And he said, are you ready to die? They said, yes, are who? Are you ready to die for your country? Yes, are who? And then the second captain said, are you ready to die? They said, yes. He said, but you will not die. He said, they are ready to die for their country. Make them die for their country. He said, you don't win wars by dying. Ah. He said, if we all die for our country, we will lose. Are you getting what I'm saying? Say, angle, 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 angle. <laughs> Do you, 
Do you understand what I'm saying? So as it pertains to us, as noble as it may seem to say, take the whole world and give us Jesus. And that's a level of consecration and it's powerful. Listen, I'm telling you, I'm reiterating again. If you are not at that point where you can embrace what I'm saying, stay there. Listen, at the first stage of consecration, you should be ready to throw it all away for Jesus. But I'm saying, listen, the Bible says, lay aside every weight, every sin that easily besets us, and do what? Run. Many people think that consecration is for the sake of consecration. But the reason we lay aside weight is so that we can be light and run. But many of us, we think that holiness is for holiness sake. We are not mission-minded. All we, all that, the totality of our Christian experience is the sin that we are trying to stop. No mission-minded mentality. And that must change. So who is going to take the world for Jesus? Because mind you, money will not be left idle. If you leave it, the world will take it. And oh, what they will do with it. Your children. Ah. Hallelujah. So there is a different perspective to selflessness. As great as it will be to die for your country. Think for the, of the good of your country. And instead, as a soldier's mentality, make others die for their country. Because it is in making others die for your country that your country will have posterity. Think of the posterity of your kingdom. There is a different perspective to selflessness. It's called ambition for a selfless cause. When you find God, he doesn't take away your ambition. He redirects it. Abraham was indifferent. He said, let Ishmael live before you. It was God who took him by the cool of the night and said, look at the stars. Count it. He gave him a dream. Don't be okay with Ishmael. One son. I will give you sons like the sand of the seashore. There is an ambition in God. Where he tells 11 disciples, go into all the world and teach all nations. That's a dream. An ambition. You tell fishermen, now they have to look beyond themselves. The gospel will challenge you to dream. Because all the world will mean all languages. I have to be ready to travel. I have to. So think of Paul now later speaking and saying to the Jew, I've learned to be a Jew. To the Gentiles, I've learned. It will command the exposure. You will have to grow. You will have to step into the shoes. You have to see possibilities. That's how to take a world for Jesus. So as noble as it, it, it has been for you to say, you know what, God, I'm okay. You know, there is a different perspective to consecration. After God has deadened your flesh, he now gives you responsibility. After you have put money in his place, you are the one that God can now trust with money. And everyone that God uses has, you know, gone through that test. Something I've never said openly before, you know. <laughs> you know, 
one of the things that gave me the most joy last year. I had the privilege, the honor to give this beautiful baby a car. And we were happy about it, you know, towards December. But not too long after, we had reboot camp. And I was prophesying to people, hey, God. <laughs> and I came to this young man and his wife. And then the Lord said, tell him. Um, so I knew by word of knowledge they were trusting for a car. And they were trying to get a loan to pay for one instrumentally. And then the Lord said, tell him, why buy it when I can give you? <laughs> so I had already talked before. And I said, ah, God, what does that mean now? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I said, you people didn't know what was happening. All of you said, ooh. <laughs> so that was step one. Step two, how do I tell my wife, woman of the spirit? Not too long after she came, said, I want to tell you something. It's like the Lord told me that we need to give someone that car. I said, who? Mention the same people. I said, oh, okay. So... We can't argue with the Lord. We just called them to the house. It's not your voice. Even our God, I just threw the key, the key at them. Bah, take. <laughs> and they, they caught it wandering. <laughs> Hallelujah. Between that time and now. Ah. Ah, hallelujah. Between that time and now, you know, I'm even using style to tell you people, no more cars, no more car gifts. It's becoming irresponsible. People that drive the type of car I have, I have house. <laughs> Do you understand? No, make me look irresponsible to my landlord. My landlord come up one day and say, I envy you, your car. I say, sir. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm laughing in house rents. <laughs> <laughs> the car is not fine. <laughs> I didn't know why I started explaining things that are wrong. Ah, but this place, you see this place? <laughs> Hallelujah. But you can become ambitious for a selfless cause. I'll do a brief commentary of James chapter 1. And then we call it a day. Listen, when you're reading James chapter 1, if you don't pay attention, and that's why I've taught you to always use your lexicon so that you understand the Greek words from which these words are actually transliterated. Otherwise, there are a lot of details you will miss. In verse 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you go through various trials. Count it all joy. So now we've been taught about trials. Oh, how, you know, they help the testing of our faith to produce patience. And patience, when it has done its work, will be perfect and tired, lacking nothing. And we've been taught to embrace trials. But then we've made the mistake theologically of differentiating the meaning of trials and temptations. We think they are two different things. And so much later in the same chapter... When he said in verse 13, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But everyone who is tempted when he's drawn away of his own desires and enticed. So we think trials are different and temptations are different. Guess what? It is the same Greek word. Do you know what that means? It means the same experience can produce different outcomes in people. So some people... When they receive money, the works of their righteousness expand. You know, many people benefit. They send people to school, change lives, you know, sponsor the spread of the gospel. And some other people, when they get money, their life goes down on the downward spiral. It wasn't the money, it was them. And that's why he says, a man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. It wasn't the experience, it was your preparation. Drawn away of his own lust and enticed. 
So he was not tempted of God. And I dare say in many cases, not even tempted of the devil. There was something inside him that he had not handled. But God is raising an army of dead men. He has deadened all the senses of the flesh. People he can call and say, do this and they will do. Do that and they will do. And now they can carry on, march on with the clarion call, projecting the image of Christ in the world. He says, Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, he says, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are in heaven where Christ seated at the right hand of God. He said, set your affections. Regulate your desires. Don't let Instagram regulate your desires. Don't let Big Brother Nigeria regulate your desires. Regulate your desires with God's word. There are some things you catch yourself desiring, you bring your body back. You deal it some blows. Remind it that it's crucified with Christ. That's how to live. He said, because you are dead and your life is hidden, Christ in God. That's how to live. And when you achieve that and God can trust you, march on, listen, reject mediocrity. We can do better with your success. God is raising men of influence. Let me tell you something. The order of the men God uses has changed. Once upon a time, the religious minds were the elites, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So for God to prove a point, he raised his son through the house of the carpenter, it doesn't mean everybody that God uses must be poor. So Paul says, you see your calling that not all who are called and who are chosen are, are noble and wise and all of that. But if you notice, after a point had been made, in the New Testament, who were the people God used? Cornelius, the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch was a treasurer, an influential one. He had icon. What about the soldier in Acts chapter 10? Cornelius, he was a soldier. He had servants. He sent servants to call Peter. He was a rich man. Come on, are you getting what I'm saying? And they did not leave their professions because of the gospel. They beamed the light of the gospel. They used their platforms, their influence to beam the light of the gospel. So when the gospel was going to spread from the Jews, God used influential people. Mark the words. It was the Ethiopian eunuch and Cornelius that took the gospel. They were the first. Imagine what God can do with you. But you have to learn to have the mentality of Daniel. You must stand out. Listen, he said, let your light so shine. There must be an intensity to the light. The people you are trying to reach will not be impressed by English. Won't be impressed by your theology. It says, Gentiles shall come to the brightness of your rising. It has to be compelling. Do you understand? Listen, God said, I will do a work in Jacob that will cause the ears of them that hear to tingle. It must tingle. What God does in your life must go viral. People must talk about it. That's how to shape this generation. No other way. God who said it knew what he was saying. So don't be mediocre as a child of God. Alright? In everything you do, distinguish yourself. Listen, God gave us that as a prophecy, didn't he? He said, this year of light, we distinguish ourselves. Because light represents distinction. By the wisdom of God, bring distinction to your life.
it must be superior. So that like Daniel, when you stand side by side, the people who compromise, you'll be better. Your faith is not an excuse for why things are not working. It is the explanation for why things are working. It must work. In all the spheres of life, everything God has asked me to do, I will do it. It will be clear by the observation of pagan kings, not by your explanation and theologizing. The pagan kings will observe and say, an excellent spirit. Listen, they must prove all the other influences to be impostors. Let the rod of Moses swallow the rod of the magicians. It's time. The grace is on you. Did you hear what I said? I said the grace is on you. You're about to take it to another level. Listen. The people who are working just for money must not be working harder than you who is working for souls. Your own effort must show that lives depend on it. It must show. Did you hear what I said? If they are doing it just for their purse, how come they are more excellent than you? Some of us, our commitment, we, we are committed as if Christianity is just an option, Rotary Club. That's how we are doing it. If indeed this message, lives depend on it, ah, we must be more radical now. A good example is COVID. There was a killer disease out there. Look at how the world sends the message to everyone and the message got to us. And we knew where your marks, even our government surprised us that they can be responsible. You know, how many times did you receive text message? Don't forget wear your mask and all of that. You saw billboards and all of that. Because if people will die by the lack of information, you must show it by your commitments. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let us have that commitment to the gospel. The world must not produce more content than us. The world must not produce better content than us. It is time. He said, go and make disciples of nations. That's what he told us to do. It's time. Are you ready? Pray in the spirit right now. Come on, pray in the spirit right now. Pray in the spirit right now. It's time to distinguish yourself. So that like Joseph, even if they call you from the prison to interpret the dream, you will be ready. You need only a moment's notice. Just a moment's notice. You were born to do it. Just a moment's notice. They said, we know that the spirit of the Holy God is on you. It's time to distinguish yourself. To mediocrity, I bring a name in the name of Jesus. I refuse to be ordinary. He said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Listen to me. God has brought balance to us as a church. So now when we are saying this, it's not because 
we're materialistic and all of that. There is a generation to be reached out there. Let me tell you something I've, I might not have said before. As an undergraduate, 2009-2010, when I knew God called me, I said I will work on myself. I will make sure I will be able to preach on any stage in the world. I said that as an undergraduate. Many of the things you appreciate, the clarity, the explanation, is not follow Como. I walked it. Stop making excuses. Whatever God has called you to do, distinguish yourself. I'm happy you are prayerful, but put in the work. Put in the work. It's time to stand out. Are you the light of the world? <laughs> is there a city set on a hill? I like that. A city is a brag. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Cannot. Ah. I refuse to stay small. Listen, as you pray in the spirit now, see, there are some of the things you have been doing for years. You've been doing it faithfully. It's time for it to pick up. It's time. As you pray in the spirit, wisdom and ideas are stirred up in you. You will know what to do. Listen, not just that. The zeal to put in the work. He says it is God who walks in you to will and to do his good pleasure? You might have been writing that book. You lost the zeal to finish it. It is God who walks in you. You'll be surprised the zeal you will wake up with tomorrow. You will hit the gym again. You will put in the work. By the anointing of the Holy Ghost, I bring an end to mediocrity. Begin to pray right now. I bring an end to mediocrity. I bring an end to giving excuses all the time. I stand out in the name of Jesus. In every sphere of life, I stand out. By the anointing of the Holy Ghost, I'm going places. I'm making progress. I'm taking my generation for Jesus. By the anointing of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' mighty name, we've prayed. You're going to prophesy over your life. You say, in the name of Jesus, I walk in high favor. Noticeable favor. Favor that distinguishes. In the mighty name of Jesus, as I step into this week, I step into favor. In every aspect of my life, begin to prophesy right now. I walk in the favor of the Lord. I walk in the favor of the Lord. I'm distinguished by favor. Hey, doors are open unto me. Doors are open unto me. Doors are open unto me. Amanta karon de repenakria tapale padia. Asusa lepenekura takibe. Amantakore ke na mataya. 
en somba le kureketa en susu dalemando kopate kaprutu kitalamando en salemenonia ne kotakapa abalerania ne ponsa bale samandere behaya en sokatalemaya thank you jesus in Jesus mighty name we have prayed by the anointing of the Holy Ghost the same spirit by whom you have been saved is causing you to stand out in the name of Jesus let every dormant vision come alive let every dormant drive come alive you are distinguished in the name of Jesus. He said he works in us to will and to do. There is a zeal that will be known of. Known for. We put in the work. No excuses. We produce the results. By the anointing of the spirit. Listen. The Lord is bringing associations your way that will end mediocrity forever. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. By exceptional wisdom, you know what to do. You know what steps to take. You know what to stop. You know what to continue. Let every frustration be turned to testimonies. And let anything that can jeopardize the great plans that God has for you. Immaturity, materialism, let those things be destroyed by the wisdom of God. In the mighty name of Jesus, we have prayed. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.